Hello and welcome to the PTP Podcast. So the Super Bowl is this weekend, the United States' single largest sporting event each year. Over 100 million people will tune in to watch the game, about one-third of our population. In our society, where sports are often given more attention than religion, and players are discussed more often than Jesus, it can be easy for us, especially the young people, to get our priorities out of balance. In light of this, today's podcast is going to be a little different. This week's episode is an interview with Brother Norris Cole, a two-time NBA champion who played in the NBA for six seasons. During the interview, he talks about staying faithful while being a professional athlete and the importance of keeping your priorities in line. It was one of the highest rated classes from PTP 2018. We are excited to share it with you. We especially encourage parents to listen to this lesson with their children, maybe while driving or during your family Bible time. Before we get started, though, we wanted to share a little news about PTP 2019. The schedule was nearing completion and the work on registration has begun. We'll be sharing some more information in the following few weeks. We wanted to remind you today to go ahead and pencil us in for August 16 through 22. Brother Cole, as well as hundreds of other speakers, have already confirmed, and we're looking forward to seeing you in August. Now, let's get started. All right, good morning, good morning. We're excited about this next session. This is something we've been thinking about for a while, and there are a lot of people here, so I think y'all are excited about it as well. And I wanted to uh, take just a minute to introduce our speakers before they get started. This is going to be a really interesting thing because we have two experts in not only the faith, which is the most important thing, but also sports, which is something that we're all interested in as well. And our two uh, men that will be leading our discussion today, the first I wanted to mention is Jeremy Smith. Jeremy wrote his own introduction in which he roasted himself, so I thought that I would share that with you. Uh, Jeremy preaches actually for two congregations. He preaches for the Greensboro Church of Christ and the Linden Church of Christ in West Alabama, and he's been preaching for both of those for seven years, and he said, you'll notice they invited me to speak on something that had nothing to do with preaching, so they must not think much of my preaching. Uh, But that's not true. Jeremy's a really good preacher. Uh, It shows in the fact that he has two congregations he preaches for. He has a bachelor's degree from Faulkner University, a master's from Amherst. He's a hardworking man. He's a really good dad, uh, a good husband. And he also has a weekly, a daily throughout the week, ESPN uh, talk sports radio show. So he interviews athletes, discusses sports all the time. And he does it from a, a unique perspective of someone that is also a member of the church and a preacher. And then our second man that will be participating in our discussion is Norris Cole. And most of us a few years ago when he showed up here with his family thought, wow, that's incredible. We've got uh, an incredible athlete that just came with his family that's a member of the church and that takes this seriously. And since then, since we we found out about that faith, we've been impressed with him. Uh, You know, sometimes you hear of someone that's a member of the church and and you, you may not always be impressed if you follow their career and their life, if they're in the spotlight. But we have been with him. We've kept up with him. We've made sure it's really who he is, and so that's why we're excited to have him here. Uh, he went, to, uh, has played basketball and just been a winner his whole life. In high school, he led his team to back-to-back high school state championships. In college, he was the player of the year in the Horizon League and also the defensive player of the year. 
if you know a lot about basketball, some guys get reputations. They can get buckets, they can score, but they can't guard anybody. That's not the case. He won both of those awards. So this man can play on both ends of the ball. And of course, he played in the NBA as well. He uh, won two championships with the Heat, played also with the Pelicans and with the Thunder, and then has just recently won an Israeli League championship as well. So this man, every level of the game, has been a winner. But most importantly to us, most importantly to you, it's somebody who has done it and kept his faith. You could do all of these things he's done and not be a Christian, and at the end, none of it's going to matter. But what's impressive is that he's done it and he's also kept God as his top priority. So we're excited to hear him tell us about that. All right. First, we, we always have to begin with a mic check, make sure everybody can hear. We're good? Hello. All right, I see enough reaction. Here we go. I'm used to speaking in front of about 15 people, so I don't even need a mic. So this is a little bigger than what we're, what we're used to. It's a smaller crowd than what you're used to, probably. Yeah. <laughs> North, I, what I'd like to start with you is, you know, I, I kind of want to go back to the beginning for you. What are the roots of your faith? Where did that start? Well, the roots of my faith began um, at my home congregation back in Dayton, Ohio, Webster Street Congregation. Um, my mother and my father, both Christians. Uh, my grandmothers, both Christians. And um, that was what I knew growing up. Uh, my family rooted and grounded me in the, in the faith um, before I was allowed to do anything extracurricular, uh, which, which is sports, basketball, community service, things like that. You know, every Sunday, you know, every morning I had to go to Bible class, had to be prepared for Bible class, um, go to service, learn what it meant to be a leader. Uh, my father you know, taught me how to you know, pray at the table growing up, taught me how to um, lead singing, you know, taught me the different acts of worship as a boy so that when I became eligible age to serve, I was prepared. And so when I was very young, um, you know, I learned what came first. Um, Mom always said it was, it was church, school, and then it was anything else I wanted to do. So that was, that was how my foundation began in my youth. What do you remember about, you, you grew up around it, You've had the cognitive knowledge of all of it. What do you remember about that moment of conviction, the moment that you decided that it was time to be baptized into Christ? Well, I got baptized when I was 14, but I had told my father probably when I was 10 or 11 that I wanted to get baptized. Um, but he wanted to make sure that I knew exactly what I was doing and understand what it meant when I became of eligible age to be held accountable for my actions. And so um, we had a gospel meeting in Dayton, Brother John Shannon was speaking, and I was baptized when I was 14 years old. And I knew I was convicted um, in elementary school because I was never afraid to correct you know, anybody. I was kind of outspoken when it came to when I saw Rome, even if it was an adult. And so, you know, my mom and dad would have to tell me, it's okay to correct people, but you have to watch it when they're adults. There's a certain way to correct people. So, <laughs> you know, if, like if I saw, for instance, if I saw someone, um, you know, if I saw someone drinking in a restaurant, I was out to eat with my family, I'd be like, mom, why are they drinking that alcohol? They know they're not supposed to be drinking alcohol. That's not pure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'd say stuff like that. And it came out of honest heart. I wasn't being malicious. I was just a child, but I knew it was wrong. And so I would speak on it. And I guess that was a personality that a personality trait, I guess, God gifted me with um, not being afraid to voice, you know, how I feel about it and be correct about it. Because a lot of people have an opinion, but to be correct about 
you know, something where there's a definite right or wrong answer in the Bible. So I think at a young age, that's when I was convicted. And when I had the biblical knowledge to know that when I said something, I could go to it in book, chapter and verse and mm-hmm. have my back. And I think once I understood that, um, it was just on from there. How did that play in the locker room? You are, uh, you're on teams. You got guys who don't think the same way as you. How does that play? Um, well, you know the scripture in the Bible where it says uh, Christians are to be a peculiar people. And so a lot of my teammates growing up thought I was peculiar. You know, thought I was different. Some conversations actually led to actual Christian conversations about the Bible and about scriptures. Other conversations, they didn't necessarily know that I was a Christian, but they knew something was different about me. Mm-hmm. You know, and they knew that I was convicted in what I believed in and I wasn't going to be easily swayed from that. And so, you know, some guys respect it. Other guys, you know, kind of venture off and just, you know, leave you alone, you know. But I was, I'm, I'm very secure in who I am when it comes to that. And so, you have to put your foot down sometime. You know, if depending on the environment, everyone's not trying to learn. So every environment is not appropriate to try to preach to someone, especially if, if it's not appropriate and they're not open to it and the environment is not conducive to a learning open. Mm-hmm. So, but then you have those intimate moments where it might be only two or three guys in the locker room. A subject is brought up. They ask your opinion. And when they ask, I give them. I give them, you know, book, chapter, and verse, and why I believe in what I believe in. And sometimes you have to ask questions why they believe in what they believe in before you tell them what you believe in so you can know what level they are, they're at or you can, can tell if they're really trying to learn. And from that answer of you asking them why do they think what they think, that allows me to how I'm going to answer, you know, whatever question or whatever subject matter we're talking about in the locker room. You got a teammate that... Maybe you've had those conversations, maybe you hadn't. You're polar opposites in the way you view the world and the way that, the way that you live life. How do you set all that aside and still play alongside them and still succeed together? Well, um, playing basketball, that's just my job. You know, it's just like any other job. Only difference is millions, millions of people see me when I do my job, but it's just my job. Um, I go there to pay bills. I go there to make a living. Mm-hmm. And so I keep it that, I try to keep it that simple. That's, that's how I'm able to keep my feet on the ground. Um, one of the scriptures that I keep, keep in mind, um, you know, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Uh, Mark eight thirty six. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you keep it in that perspective, I go to work, I play basketball, I come home and that's, that's kind of how I, keep, how I try to keep it simple because there is a lot that you can get into when you start to get recognized, when you start to make a certain amount of money, when you start to have access to everything that professional athletes have access to. So, you know, I, I keep that scripture in mind. And my, my, my father, he does a great job of, you know, keeping, keeping me, you know, grounded and always giving me reminders from when I was young. Like, never forget, you know, where you come from. You was just the, you know, the skinny kid from Dayton that was going to Bible class every Sunday that just so happened to develop into a a great athlete. And so, you know, that having that foundation is what has been able to keep me, one of the reasons that's been able to keep me, you know, so so grounded into my faith. So when you are, you're younger and, and, and every, I think every teenager who has, who's come into the faith 
has dealt with this kind of thing. It's the juggling of the schedule. Yes. You, you grow up in an AAU world, and if you've got big aspirations, everybody wants to play AAU. But from what I understand, you didn't play a lot of AAU. You played a lot of sports. You were in the honor society. You were salutatorian of your high school. What was key for you, and what did your parents tell you to make sure that you kept everything in the right order and the right priorities? Well, it was about balance in life, which is a biblical principle. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, my spirituality and keeping that first, once you, once you have your foundation mastered and you understand where your blessings come from and you truly, truly believe it, mm-hmm. everything else kind of just happens. So I never looked at my, my life or my success like, I have to go to basketball practice, I have to do football, I have to go to community service, I have to do all these things. It was more, I'm a Christian, I take care of that aspect, and everything else just fell into place. Right. And so, and my coaches always knew, you know, on Wednesday nights I had to leave practice early, you know, except for seven o'clock Bible class. You know, if we, if we are gonna have practice on Sunday, if they ask me, I prefer to have it Sunday night so I can make it at least to morning service. I hate when they make practice in the middle of the day when I have to miss both. Right. And so, you know, all of my coaches since I was peewee all the way up, you know, to now, they understand that, you know, if, if we can on Sundays and Wednesdays, you know, either practice early in the morning so I can make it to service or late at night so I can make it to at least one of the services. And I think that was that really, really, really kept my mind from thinking I was too busy, because I, I really wasn't that busy. I mean, we all have something to do. We have 24 hours in a day, and so sports just took up that time, but I always knew what was important. And a lot of times, as a teenager, um, and I went through it as well, so you think things are important that you realize once you get older, they're really not important. You know, what your friends think that are not Christians. You know, social media is the biggest thing ever now. Um, how you look and things of that nature. And once you realize none of those things really matter at the end of the day, what matters is who you are, your influence on people as Christians, because everyone's always watching what you do, what you say. Once you realize that, everything else will take care of itself, whatever you want to do, whether it's instruments, whether it's, you know, singing, whether it's, you know, whatever career you think you want to do, those things fall in place once you know who you are and what's, what your conviction is. Let's go back to the, uh, the aspect you talked about. Every team you're on, you know, Wednesday night I've got Bible study. I'm going to be at worship on Sunday. That conversation with the coach, at what point do you have that? Is it when you first get on the team uh, or do you wait till it comes up? How are you approaching that? Well, when I was a teenager, it wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad stepped in right away. Coach, he won't be there. It was that simple. (laughs) So once that became a habit, that was my habit. So once I got to college, um, my coach, Coach Waters, you know, a a situation happened where he wanted us to go to service on Sunday. And I told him, I said, Coach, you know, we have practice every day on Sunday, though. I prefer to go to service where I go to service. And he was understanding to that, but he wanted to know why. And... You know, we had a conversation about why I wanted to go to my particular congregation, you know, Church of Christ. And he understood. Um, 
and he let me do it. And he, because he seen I was serious about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, Coach, I, I prefer to go to mine. And then he said, Oh, it's about the team. I said, No, it's not about the team on Sunday, Coach. It's it's really not about the team. You know, mm-hmm. and he understood where I was coming from because you know we all had to give a personal account. So it really wasn't about the team. It was about giving my spiritual sacrifices that Sunday. And so, and he was able to understand that. And, and on same thing on Wednesday nights. Um, sometimes you can't avoid it. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have practice, but different locations have um, Wednesday Bible class in the morning sometime. Right. And if we, if I'm in a location where we have that, I'll try to make that if I can't make it at night or vice versa. And if I can't make either, um, I, I worship online, um, okay. YouTube or um, Facebook Live, things like that. Uh, there's different congregations that um, we affiliate with, and I'm able to keep up with the service schedule so that so that I never fall out of rhythm of what, being alert for, for service on Sunday and Wednesday. Right. Now, you won a couple state championships at Dunbar. You got... You got teammates that are being highly recruited, but you weren't. You you had one D one offer. Yes. Is there disappointment there? And if so, how do you deal with that? Well, at first I was sort of disappointed, but I knew I was going to have a scholarship to go somewhere. Um, my academics were taken care of, so I knew that my parents wasn't going to have to pay for school. Mm-hmm. But I always wanted to play Division One. That was something that I wanted to do. It wasn't a need. I wanted to. And so I always knew the difference from a want and a need. Mm-hmm. And so I actually committed to go to a Walsh University, which is in Canton, Ohio, okay. um, an NAIA school. And then some things happened. My recruitment in Cleveland State came along, and I was able to gain my Division One scholarship. But I never let it fluster me too much because, like I said before, I knew who I was. I knew what was really important. And I knew that once I had a chance to show what I could do, you know, that I would be okay. So it didn't really bother me, you know, my senior year. It didn't bother me at all. So faith has been established for you. Your parents have set the example. They've set the structure. You've been good. Yes. Now you're 200 miles away from home. It's that first Sunday. Nobody's there to wake you up and to make you go. How hard is the temptation to not go? At first, it wasn't that hard. It's always okay when you're not tired, Mm -hmm. you know. So at first, it wasn't too. (laughs) It was. It wasn't that hard at first. It got tough, you know. Mid-season. Yeah. You're practicing two and three times a day. It's negative 10 degrees in Cleveland. <laughs> and you wake up Sunday morning and you look outside and it's snow and you're like, man, I got to drive a couple miles down the road to service. That's when it hits you. Yeah. And so, but, you know, I know right from wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's, you make a decision. It's, the, it's just that simple. Are you going to do right or are you going to do wrong? And sometimes I think, especially young people, we overcomplicate things. We overthink it. It's not really much to overthink. Mm-hmm. We do what we want to do. We find a way to do what we want to do. And so if you want to go to service, you're going to find every way to go to service. If you want to go to a certain place, you're going to find whatever excuse you can to go to that place. If you want to talk to a certain person or do a certain thing on social media or look up something, you're going to find every way to do it. Yeah. And so, you know, I want to go to service. So I got up and I went to service. And I know it's the right thing to do. And so that's, it was that simple for me. 
All right, and you're going to experience this on a much larger scale later when you get into the NBA, but here you are. You've always been vocal. You've always been a leader in your high school. You're Norris. You're from Dayton. Everybody knows you. They don't necessarily know you as a freshman at, at Cleveland State. Right. How do you go about finding your voice and establishing uh, establishing being the influence instead of being influenced? Well, I didn't go out and try to influence anyone. Mm-hmm. I just lived how I lived and people asked questions. Mm-hmm. Norris, why do you not, you know, we never see you drink. Um, you don't say certain things that everyone else say or, you know, why do you don't mind being alone sometime? And questions like that let me know that, one, I'm doing something right. Two, I'm being that peculiar Christian that's mentioned in the Bible. And then three, sometimes in order to avoid certain temptations, you have to totally remove yourself from where that temptation is. And that, that means being alone sometime. You know, no one really wants to be alone, but sometimes you have to be in order to remove yourself from whatever the temptation is. And so that's kind of how I became the leader other than the basketball part. As a person, I became the leader by not doing what everyone else was doing. But I wasn't doing it to try to be different. I was doing the right thing. And when you do the right things as a Christian, it's going to stick out. I mean, it's just it's clearly going to stick out. And so, you know, Sunday mornings, I was always coming back in the afternoon wearing my suit. And my teammates would be like, man, you, you dressed up. What you, you got up this morning? Yeah, I went to service. <laughs> you know, and once they see that, it makes them want to ask questions. And I invited, invited them to service and things like that. So I don't try to be, be different. I just walk my Christian walk. And when you walk the Christian walk, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb sometimes. Absolutely. So you, you had an NAI offer. Things worked out. You parlayed that into a D1 offer. You're at Cleveland State. All of a sudden, junior year, you are. Uh, yeah. You're you're not you're not flying under the radar anymore. You're one of the top five in scoring in the Horizon League. Finish ahead of Gordon Hayward, who will go on to be an NBA All Star. You finish ahead of him in scoring. Uh, now you're on the radar. Yeah. Scouts start to see you. Uh, the attention is there. Yes. All of that is coming at you now. It's a different temptation than what you've, de- than what you've experienced before. For sure. How hard is it to stay humble at this point? Uh, it, it, can be, it can be tough when everyone's telling you how good you are. Mm-hmm. You know, when everyone tells you, oh, man, that was a great game. Oh, man, you're, you're growing. You know, your muscles, your body, everything is developing. You have a chance to uh, play in the NBA if you keep doing what you're doing. It can, it can be very tough when everyone tells you how good you are. But at the end of the day... It's okay to accept compliments, you know. So I always say thank you, and I accept the compliments. I worked hard to get those compliments, but I always knew that any split second things could change. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the my father's in the medical field. I, I majored in health science, and then you know, so you obviously know your health. One one slip, things could change. Yeah. Um, and I never want to be the guy that people liked what they do, but didn't like them as an individual. Yeah. And which is a lot of athletes, they're praised for what they do, but as a person, they're not really liked sometimes. So, you know, my father, when I was in college, he told me to read uh, Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes. And even when I was in the NBA, which we haven't got there yet, but 
In the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about vanity and about what's really important and what's the actual bottom line. And the bottom line is, no matter how good I am in basketball, that's going to end one day. No matter how much money, even though I'm in college at this point and I haven't made any money yet, no matter what degree I get, that's going to end one day. Um, If I get hurt, that doesn't mean that's the end of the world. And so, you know, reading that book of Ecclesiastes and realizing everything is vanity without putting the main thing, which is God, the main thing first and searching out his wisdom, and his knowledge first. It doesn't really matter. And so I worked hard. I, I, I kid you not, I worked very, very hard at playing the game of basketball. Very, very hard. I spent a lot of hours, probably more hours than I should have. But I always knew where my blessings came and I always knew that they could be taken away from me. You know, I had plenty of examples in my family who were great athletes. They're not great athletes anymore. Plenty of friends who were better athletes than me, but ended up getting hurt and they lost their identity. They didn't know who they were anymore. And so I had plenty of secular and worldly examples of that, but I also had those biblical examples um, as well. Um, King Solomon had it all. He had everything. He was wise. He had riches. He had everything. But at the end of the day, he realized it was all vanity without, you know, without the blessing from God. And um, we're going to get there later. But the story of Job, yeah. he had everything, lost everything, but remained faithful and got it back. And so, you know, having that foundation, especially, especially my father, you know, because he doesn't tell me how good I am all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't tell me how good I am all the time. And I have a bunch of brothers at the church who... Um, they don't even really like to talk to me about sports because, you know, they know me outside of sports. So having that personal conversations about my faith, you know, how you doing, brother? How's it, you know, outside of sport? That keeps me, that's able to keep the humility because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, people only know what they see. Mm-hmm. But your Christian brothers and sisters who grew up with me, who know me, you know, personally, you know, that means more to me. So to, to answer your question, that's how I was able to stay humble, you know, Having my father, having those conversations, not about basketball, right. and then having those biblical examples of people who accomplished a lot. Some lost it, never got it back. Some lost it and got it back. Some remained poor, but still were able to make it to the promised land. So, you know, having those examples is how I was able to, you know, stay level-headed when everyone was telling me how good I was. All right, so everything's going to ramp up. You're going to win, win the Horizon League, Horizon League Player of the Year. Yeah. Now draft night comes along, and you're in the you're in the pool. Mm-hmm. You've had some contact from from scouts. I'm sure your agents keeping you informed. You'll hear your name called. Yes. 28th overall to the Miami Heat out of Cleveland State, yeah. Norris Cole. What's that moment? Uh, Mom, how was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> It was it was special um, because you know I'm a regular human being. I have emotion, regular emotions, so right. I was excited. You know, I, as a kid, you know, I dreamed about what it would be like to play basketball on TV. I dreamed about what it would be like to hear my name called. I dreamed about what it would be like to provide for myself and my family. All of those things that a boy dreams about, mm-hmm. I literally had those dreams. And so for it to actually happen in real life, you know, a lot of people don't get to experience exactly what they dreamed about in real life. So I was blessed and fortunate 
to actually have that happen. And so I was, you know, overjoyed. Uh, my family, we, uh, we said a prayer right afterwards. I had my, I had my uh, family, my church family, some of my teammates and stuff there. Uh, we said a prayer. That's, the, that's what we did at first. But, you know, it was, some, it was a very emotional night. You know, it was a very emotional night. Um, you know, I relive it every now and then. I sit around, I daydream, and people are like, what you thinking about? And I never tell them. But yeah. some, a lot of times, that's what I'm thinking about, like, Man, a, a real life dream come true actually happened. And so that night was, it was special. So it doesn't take long before the reality of all of it starts to set in. Yes. You, you had a quote in, a, in an interview in 2016 that really speaks to a lot of what you've talked about today. You said, my mother and father made education a priority. Church was first, then schoolwork. Sports was always something extra, not the main focus. But now the thing that wasn't the main focus that you kept on the periphery that was something you enjoyed is now your job. Exactly. And you're getting paid more than you could probably ever have imagined to do it. Exactly. So the world is sort of flipping your priorities on you. How do you keep your internal priorities consistent at this point? I mean, I, had, I sat down and had a long thinking conversation to myself. I talk to myself sometimes. <laughs> and so when that happened, I thought about that. I said, well, it's no longer an extracurricular. It's a priority now, you know, because a man don't work, he don't eat. So, yeah. you know, I, I have to, to be good at this now. And this is how I'm going to pay my bills and things now. So it, it was a kind of a flip of the switch, but it still didn't change anything. Church still was first. Mm -hmm. You know, being an educated man was still important to me, which I got my degree, so I was still educated and things of that nature. And so it was still third. It's yeah. just that it's a higher priority third, because now if I'm not good at it, I can't feed myself. I can't feed my family and things like that. So it definitely flipped the switch. But once again, it made the scriptures become real. Right. Because, you know, sometimes you reread the scriptures and it's like, you understand it, but that doesn't really apply to me. Right. Like when you read about King David or King Solomon or always, uh, oh, always use Job. But Job, those people, you're like, well, I'm never going to be rich. So that doesn't apply to me. Right. Or, you know, I don't have thousands of dollars or thousands of acres of land or lots of wives and things of that nature that they had, which which were included riches back then, gold right. and silver, fine linen. And so now I have access to those things. So those things apply to me directly now. You know, I have more than what I actually need and things of that nature. So the scriptures became more than a story or example. It became a personal, how can I say? It became personally applicable to me. Mm -hmm. So where I can take Job out and say, Norris, you have this, this, this now. Are you going to continue to keep those values that you had before you had that? Or are you going to, you know, go to another route where now those things become who you are now, the priorities, the fine things in life, the riches in life. So I had a, I had a real heart to heart with myself because yeah. I never dreamed about having more than I needed. I've never had more than I needed. You know, growing up, my mom and dad had, I had we had what we needed, but I never had an access, access, yeah. extra access to things. And so, and that's the point. Like that, yeah. that's a great point. You use that word access and you mentioned King David. It makes me think of um, the, the story that we all know so well, the worst moment for David 
He's on the rooftop at a time when kings go off the war. He's not where he's supposed to be. He right. sees Bathsheba. It leads to, to all of these things. Yes, now sir. you're in the NBA. You're traveling 41 nights out of the or 41 games out of the year. You're traveling weeks at a time. Uh, you're surrounded by guys who are going to go to the club when the game's over. For sure. It, there's money. There's women. There's everything that you could want around you. Sure. How do you guard yourself and make sure that you are where you're supposed to be? Well, like I said at the beginning, sometimes you have to take yourself away from those environments. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, uh, a lot of times guys like to go out to dinner. Mm-hmm. And then from dinner, you go out, want to go out to the club or to a lounge or things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And so things that I would do, I would go out to eat and go out to dinner. You know, but after dinner, you know, I would, you know, I would go back to my room. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and sometimes the guys would be like, you sleepy? And if I was sleepy, I'd say yes. But if I wasn't, I'd be like, no, I'm not really. But, you know, I'm going to go back to the room. And some guys would, you know, say jokes. And, um, you know, why are you, why are you so boring? Or you don't want to go? <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, I just, you know, I just prefer not to. Or um, i prolong it. I'd say maybe next time. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, but some things you can't. Some things, if you get surrounded by it, you can't fight it. Right. And so in order to fight it, the way of escape, which the Bible talks about, is to avoid it altogether. Mm-hmm. And we all are tempted by different things. Uh, what might tempt someone else might not tempt me. Right. What might tempt me might not tempt something else. So, you know, I know myself. I know what, what tempts me and what doesn't tempt me. And so anything that's going to probably tempt me into a way where I couldn't escape it, I just prefer to totally not put myself in that environment because it's you know it's like a lose-lose situation you know even if you don't do anything just by being associated you can be considered you know guilty by association sometimes so um there were times when I you know I I, there were times where I gave in and wanted to see what it was like to like you know what was it like to be on the nightlife you know with the with NBA stars and things like that to see what it was like Mm -hmm. and and when when I seen it uh, I realize that it's not the environment for a Christian to be in. Right. Um, it's, it's not because one, you can't teach everybody. Those are not the environments to try to be converting people. Right. So to say that you're going there and that you're going there to convert people, no, you're not. You're lying. No, <laughs> no. no, you're not. So, you know, just to avoid it altogether, to, for me, it's the easiest thing. A lot of times people will say, you know, it's okay as long as you don't, you know, as long as you don't touch it or it's okay as long as you don't drink or it's okay as long as you don't say it. Yeah. But it's not okay right. because, you know, the, the Bible always says um, evil companions corrupt good morals. If they didn't, the Bible wouldn't say that. Right. So if I could go around it and it not affect me, the Bible wouldn't say, wouldn't right. say that. So I don't try to, I try not to flirt with fire like that because, right. you know, a lot of times you say, well, I did it and it didn't affect me this time which teenagers and young adults do all the time. Well, I can listen to it, you know, as long as I don't repeat it or say it, or, or I, can, I can go there as long as I don't do anything or touch it or anything like that, and that's, that's the fallacy. And I've seen it up close and personal. You can only say no so many times right. to temptation. And when you, when you constantly put yourself in the line, it's like fire. You can touch it. I'm pretty quick. I could touch fire and not get burnt. One, two, three, four, five. Tenth time, for sure, I'm going to have a burn on my finger. Right. You know, you play with knives and stuff. Scrape it, scrape it, scrape it. You can do it and shave and do all that. You can shave a lot. One time, you're going to cut yourself. 
And it, it only takes the one time for your soul to be lost, one time to die, one time to have that negative effect on somebody who saw you, one time, one injury, one wrong place at the wrong time for something bad to happen. It only takes one time. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how I kind of try to keep myself away from it. I don't like to try to play with fire because I can get away with doing something and not seeing or not have that bad thing happen to me. But like the Bible says, it says evil companions corrupt good morals, not might corrupt them, not possibly will. It says they will. So it's going to happen if you keep doing it. So I try not to play with fire like that. And that's how I've been able to, you know, try to keep myself faithful. And the times that I didn't, you know, it got burned a couple of times and you learn from it. You know, you shouldn't have did that. And you, you don't feel sorry for yourself. It's like you knew better than that. And you, you know, you repent. And you, and you learn from it and you don't do that anymore. And you made a, yeah, a lot of really powerful statements. I know we've got a lot of teenagers in the audience um, that, are, that are listening. I think the statement that, before we move to the next question, that, uh, that you made, I think we should emphasize, is it only takes one time. It only takes one. One time to lose your soul, one time to, to derail your life. It takes just one time. So the flirtation with it is, is as dangerous as, as anything else. Yes. Oh, all right, man. I'm going to take you through a couple things. Hopefully we'll have some time for a Q&A. We've got about 10 minutes left here. Um, there's a couple of aspects of this that I, I don't know that anybody really thinks about. We look at it from the outside. He's, a, you know, from the sports aspect, all right, how's he going to fit in what the Heat are doing from a basketball standpoint? Uh, we look at the contracts. We look at, at the lifestyle. But you're all of a sudden in a locker room with some of the biggest stars in the world. It's Dwayne Wade. It's Chris Bosh. It's LeBron James. Later, they're going to add Ray Allen. Um, you're a kid from Dayton. So what's, what's the pressure like there? And, and at this time, the Heat are what the Warriors are now. They are the most, they're the center of all the sports world. Well, I stopped being a, once, once I got in the locker room with them, I kind of stopped being a fan and I saw them as co-workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I kind of dealt with it. And um, obviously before I was a fan of the NBA like everyone else, but once it became my everyday reality, I saw them as co-workers and we had a job to do. And um, I'm a man like they're men. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, they have family and responsibility. I have family and responsibility and I kept it, and I kept it that simple. Now, this is an interesting question that was submitted to me. You played with LeBron, Bosch, Wade. You'll later go on to play with Anthony Davis. You'll go on to play with Russell Westbrook. These guys are, are mega stars, mega celebrities. What would you advise Christians to do if, if we're going to pray for our athletes, we're going to pray for our heroes, pray for our culture, pray for our celebrities? What should, what should we pray for when it comes to these guys? Well, we should pray that they will come in contact with someone who will be willing to actually teach them. You know, because a lot of them, you know, a lot of them are the head of their circle. They're the powerful influence. So no one might not ever tell them what's right from a biblical standpoint. And so you you would pray that they will come in contact with, you know, people like myself or Christians like you all. Um, that they would be able to come in contact with that knowledge or read something or see something that might prick their curiosity to want to challenge themselves to, you know, to be better as Christians. Um, you can also pray that um, people think that you have to be a, a star to influence people or think that you have to be a mainstream person to have an influence on a mainstream person. Yeah. But you don't. 
um, you never know how your one influence can have a trickle down effect. It's sort of like the social media effect. You have one person follows another person. That person follows two more people. That person follows five more people. That's one social network. But it all started from the one person following the other person. And so, you know, if one person can impact one other person, you never know down the line who that might reach. Yeah. And so that's, you know, when you, when you keep things in that perspective, you know, we, I'm from Dayton. I never thought I could influence someone in California right. or Jamaica or something like that. I always tried to influence those around me. And from that, now I'm able to influence people all over the world. But from the start, I didn't know I was going to do that. I started off with the people who were in Dayton, in my congregation, in my school, for my teammates. And from that, one-on-one interaction, plus two more people, plus five more people. Now I have a social network in which I can communicate and where I can have influence. Same way. Um, we're all Christians. We all from different communities. Your impact on just your community is enough. Yeah. And from there, whoever you impact, they have people who they come in contact with who you would never come in contact with. But from your influence, it's going to influence those people. It's sort of like the, um, the biblical stories. Each generation you have, you know, you have Moses. Then you have... Um, you can move all the way to the New Testament. You have Paul, right? Old Testament, New Testament. But the influence from Moses and what he spoke to those people, it, it influenced all the way up until the law was completed. Mm-hmm. He never met the thousands of people who he had influence on, still have an influence on to this day. Mm-hmm. But the people who God put him in contact with, he influenced them. And from that generation, it moved to the next generation, into the next generation. And now we are today. Paul hasn't spoken to any of us personally. Yeah. But his interactions with the, you know, the Galatians, with the church, um, the churches of Ephesus and Corinth, those influences from those people, from the next generation, the people who they influence all the way into the church of Christ today started from back then. Yeah. And so you don't have to try to influence a star per se. Influence who you can influence and that trickle down effect will eventually make it. Norris will be, we've got about five minutes left. Norris has played in China. He has played in Israel, won the championship with Maccabi Tel Aviv last year. This year he has signed to play in Italy. I want to get a couple of questions from you guys, but I would encourage you to keep him in your prayers as he travels abroad. He will be looking for brethren. He will be looking for congregations. And if you can't find them, uh, he'll continue to worship online, but keep him in your prayers. Um, real quick, uh, we, we've got about five minutes time for a couple of questions. Does anybody have anything they'd like to ask? Uh, the question was, when you were playing in Israel, was there a special impact on your faith being around the Holy Lands? I don't want to say it was a special impact, but there was a direct challenge to Christianity because they believe in the law of Moses still, which we know as Christians was completed with Christ at the cross. So I definitely had some interesting discussions with people who didn't believe in the New Testament church and so in there a lot of those um citizens there were as strongly convicted as i am of christianity they're as strongly convicted in the jewish law 
And so it was direct conflict for sure. Not in a physical sense, but from a principal standpoint, it was direct conflict. And so the fact that I was, was grounded when I was challenged in what I believe, I was able to have a, a, a ready defense for that because they know, they do know the law. They know what it says. They don't apply what it says, obviously, but they do know what the law says. And so, you know, it was some interesting conversations about that. And so out there, I definitely had to, I had to defend my, myself, the truth. I had to defend Christianity in a few conversations, but it was enjoyable to me because I believe in the Old Testament too, which is what I told them. But I also understand the purpose of the old law and why we no longer have to live under it and how it's literally impossible to live under that law anyway, which I was, I was trying to explain to them. But, you know, I definitely had some interesting conversations living in a, in a Jewish society. Got time for one more. Questions about Lynn bias, uh, and did you ever experience anything similar to that? You talked about it only taking one time. To answer your question, no, I've never, never taken drugs. I've never drunk alcohol or anything of that nature. I've never, I never tried any of that. So the Lynn bias thing, no, I've never experienced that. But there are some other things that um, that I've experienced, and I've been blessed to make it through, and you know, never go back to um, people who I've come in contact with. I'll never come in contact with again. I'll never speak to again because there's no purpose in doing it. Um, there's conversations that I used to entertain that I used to have. I'll never entertain those conversations again. There's things that I used to watch, things that I used to listen to that I'll never listen to and I'll never watch again. So from that standpoint, I have experienced it and I was fortunate not to get burnt. And so you know, I've, I've had my fair share of um, times where things didn't go the way, didn't, I didn't do the right thing every time, but I was fortunate enough to, to make it through. And, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the risk you take. And I was blessed not to, you know, get caught up like that, you know, because one time is one time. And, and I, can't over, I can't over-exaggerate how it only really takes one time to do the wrong thing and your life can be ruin forever or one time in your life can be changed in a positive way forever and so you know i've had my experiences and i've learned from them for sure thank you guys very much thank you thank you for listening we would appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends and leave us a review on apple itunes or google play for more ptp information visit polishingthepulpit.com or search for polishing the pulpit on facebook